I now understand why Brother David wanted me to pray. He certainly needed to catch his breath for that one. Uh, what an awesome song. Praise the Lord. No matter what you pursue in life, education, athletics, business, politics, attitude is key. I think you would agree with that. Nowhere, however, is that more important than in the Christian life. We might say in the spiritual realm of living the Christian life. It is highly possible for dynamic events to occur in our lives to have that only neutralized because of wrong attitudes about something or perhaps about someone. Our perceptions, and maybe we say our misconceptions, what we view as possible, what we view as impossible, our prejudices that we carry or lack of them make a huge difference in the Christian life. This was certainly true in the Apostle Peter's life. Now, if we went back and talked about Peter, we would see that obviously uh, this guy was blessed by the Lord to see some amazing things take place. Being in that inner circle with Peter, James, and John and how that Jesus walked with them and how they spent more time with him than any other of the three disciples. And, and here is Peter, of course, telling Jesus on one hand, I will not forsake you no matter what happens. And then you have the rooster crowing, right? Y'all know the story of denying Christ. So his life was full of those incredible high events and seeing God work through him, but then to turn around and have all that neutralized by a particular attitude that Peter had. However, here's what we know about Peter. It resulted in spiritual progress, amen? Uh, he went from uh, stumbling around and stammering and making, uh, as James would say, instead of being quick to listen and slow to speak, he was totally opposite, right? He was slow to listen, quick to speak, and so Peter learned the emptiness of going about it on our own. And so God had to whittle away at Peter. And we see that he got tired of the fleshly dependence upon self. And saw that he needed to depend upon the Lord God Almighty and to be filled with the Spirit. Now when you get to chapter 9, Peter is by no means perfect. But if you remember, we've kind of left Peter back in Jerusalem. In Acts 8.25, Peter has made his way back to Jerusalem. And then we have the narratives picking up steam for the salvation of Paul. And when you get to chapter 13, Paul and his missionary journeys, that's going to dominate the book of Acts. As, again, the Lord Jesus is on a conquest to see the gospel go to the ends of the world. But so we are introduced to Peter again in chapter 9, verse 32. We're going to read it. It's kind of a reintroduction. Have you forgot about Peter? I mean, he's still around. But it's kind of a reintroduction because he's been silent in the text up until this point. But this is vitally key, a vital key to understanding Acts. This is not just filler. When you read the miracle of Aeneas and the miracle of Tabitha, you're thinking, man, this is, how does this fit in with what's going on in Acts? Well, it's strategic. And why is it strategic? Because before God converts Cornelius through the instrument of Peter taking him the gospel, it was a necessity that God convert Peter. 
not to salvation, but to the implications of the gospel. Don't we need that sometimes? Don't, don't we need to be converted to have the right attitude and see things the way that God sees them? I want to remind you of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In the NLT, it says, let your attitude, it says, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Wow, wait a minute now. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with the Father, but made him of self of no reputation. So this attitude has to be in us. So the Lord Jesus is fashioning Peter. He's not perfect. And the big issue that Peter is still dealing with is he is prejudiced. He has a Gentile problem. He is following suit with the traditions of his forefathers. And this would go all the way back to Abraham. I think you realize this, that all the way back to Abraham, there were prejudices against anybody that wasn't a Jew. Even during Peter's time, Jewish midwives were forbidden to aid Gentile women in childbirth because they didn't want to propagate Gentile scum. Now, unless you haven't figured this out, that would be you. Unless you're a national-born Jew, you're a Gentile. To them, goyim, they used that term that meant the nations. So you had the Jews, then you had everybody else. Now, this had carried on, uh, and when they would use that word goyim, referencing the nations, they would almost do it in a spitting kind of fashion, with intense contempt upon anybody that was not a Jew. So what we're going to learn is not only is Jesus Christ, does he have healing power over death and disease, ultimately what you're going to see in these two miracles is moving Peter to see that here is the God that's also the God over discrimination. Are y'all listening? He's the God over disease and death and discrimination. And if you're going to have the attitude of Christ, then you have to have the attitude that the gospel is for whoever in this world cries out to Jesus as Savior. Peter's got to learn that lesson. He's learned a lot of lessons, but he has to learn this one fresh in his mind. Okay, are you ready for the reading? Chapter 9, verse 32. The Bible says, again, reintroduction of Peter, not filler, very important. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all... He came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now... Okay, 30 miles down the road, something else has taken place. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose, went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him, all the, excuse me, widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Notice this, they're mourning over 
an awesome Christian lady in the body of Christ. Y'all know why I said windows? Because I can't see real well. I really can't. It's getting worse. But I don't want to wear glasses. I'm stubborn. But if I get right here, I can't read anything. But here I can. Small font. But Peter put them all outside. Now, does this sound familiar? These are foreshadowed in Elijah and Elisha's miracles, both of these. And they're also echoes of Jesus' miracles while Peter witnessed. That's why these are so incredible. It's not by accident that these take place. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. That's good, isn't it? And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Notice that refrain. You have that in verse 42 and in verse 35. That the response was that many turned to the Lord. And now make sure you take note of verse 43. It's important. And he stayed in Joppa. For many days with one Simon, a, say it, Tanner. Okay. Now the miracles, again, should sound familiar to you because they're foreshadowed in the, in the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And of course, here is Jesus Christ working through Peter, much like he worked himself uh, months before in raising the paralyzed man in Luke 5 and Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. So again, ge geography is important. And Caesarea is in the northernmost part of the coast in ancient Palestine. So there's no doubt when you hear that, that Philip probably had begun to evangelize this area. And now God has put it on Peter's heart to go down into these areas in the coastal areas where these churches have started. Doesn't that sound amazing? Just to be able to leave Jerusalem and you're going out where the diaspora took place and Jews have been scattered and they've, they've gone all over the place. Why? Because of persecution. But persecution doesn't win the day because there's little churches popping up all over the world. Same is true today, right? And Peter is going down to these areas and he's... He's encouraging the saints. He's going to the churches. He's finding out what God is doing. Notice they're called saints here and not Christians. We won't, they won't be called Christians until you get to Acts chapter 11. But he's going down to visit the saints, to instruct them and to build them up, which is what this church is supposed to do. Your leaders have been called by God to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We've been called by God to encourage you and to instruct you not to do all the ministry. Amen? So here is Peter going down to, to these churches. Now I want you to see a couple of things this morning. First, we see Christ's power over disease in verses 32 through 35. Luke doesn't tell us much about how he finds this man. I believe he was a believer. And I believe he was part of the church. Whether he was saved or not, that doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, for, for this miracle, because he does, is transformed to Christ... But where does he find this man? I think the man was a part of the church. It's good reason to believe that. And here is Luke, the physician. And he specifies this about the man. He had been bedridden for eight years. So I, that would say to us that 
more than likely, he could walk and was fine until eight years before this. And now he is bedridden. Now, have you ever stopped to consider the plight of the handicapped in the first century? If you think about some of the remotest parts of the world in third world countries, and if you were handicapped there today, it would have been much like what you would have been there at that particular time. And we don't stop to think about that a whole lot, but they're absolutely helpless. There's no government subsidies to help them back in those days, like we have today. There's no free hospitalization whatsoever. They simply lived off of the alms given from the people. Now, there's a good chance that if this man were a, was a part of the body of Christ, then I guarantee you he got some help from the church. Because the church's function back in the day uh, to help the widows and the orphans and everybody else. Why? Because there wasn't any government subsidies. And we're missing that somewhat today because we rely too much on the government. Right? But the church still needs to be acting like the church. Now, uh, here it is. Peter says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Now again, grammar is key when you're translating the text. And here's something, and when you say grammar is key, you have to focus upon the verbs. And the tense of this verb is absolutely amazing in the original. It means that Jesus was in the process of healing him as Peter spoke. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Jesus Christ heals you. And as he's saying the words... Jesus Christ is healing Aeneas. He speaks a profound declaration to Aeneas. There's no question that Peter's moved by the Holy Spirit of God at this point to speak to this particular man. He didn't walk around to all the people who were handicapped and crippled and heal them at this point. What we have in the Word is what we believe the Holy Spirit led Peter to this particular individual. And there's a reason for that. God doesn't do His miracles willy-nilly. I mean, Peter could have walked around, if that were the case, and touched everybody on the head or healed everybody from every disease. That's not what we see in this particular text of Scripture. You remember back in Acts 3? He's at the gate beautiful, and he touches the uh, man... How many years was it? Forty? That he had been at the gate beautiful, or forty years he had been unable to walk, and Peter touches this man. So, something resonates inside of Peter, led by the Holy Spirit of God to speak to this particular man. Don't you love this next part? You parents ought to love it. It resonates with us, right? Aeneas, get up and make your bed. <laughs> I mean, we got biblical support, right, for making your bed. Get up and make your bed. Now remember, if he's bedridden, he would have basically had something like a portable cot to go around wherever he was so that he would be visible and he had to be carried by people so that he could receive alms. It's very reminiscent of Jesus hearing the par healing the paralytic in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus says, take up your bed and go. And the Bible says, in Jesus' case, when he does it, Immediately, he picked up his bed and he went. What a profound moment. The same thing is true here. He's been paralyzed for eight years, unable to move. And what's so amazing, you know, Luke is a physician, right? And he is keen to detail. But just think about this. There's no muscle atrophy. I guess no crippling arthritis. But, the, you know, if you've, I can drive down the road in my truck from my home to here. And when I get out, 
Boy, there's like, ooh, you stand up and you got to get everything working right. Nothing about that here. The guy just jumps up. Can you imagine the atrophy in his muscles after eight years, but he just gets up and begins to walk? Healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets up, makes his bed, and he's completely healed. And listen to the result. Verse 35, the Bible tells us strategically. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. What does the miracle accomplish? Yes, the man is healed, right? But God uses it strategically as a bridge for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in our day, you see all these health nuts, uh, healing nuts, that are doing all these special healings on TV, and their calling card is to come and be healed. But folks, in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, those healings were strategic for a reason. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are comfortable saying something like this around Baptist life. Miracles do not provide a basis for true faith. Now why are we, why are we comfortable with that statement? Because that's a true statement. Miracles do not provide a basis for true faith. We know that's true in the Gospels. They see the miracles of Jesus performed. And he even says at one point, he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. You see, there's a difference in a physical miracle and spiritual uh, regeneration. There's a major difference in a physical healing and, be, and being spiritually healed. Seeing the miracle is not necessarily a change of one's heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus says to them, quit seeking signs. You want to know a sign? Just as Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be buried and raised again. So, sign seekers, have a question for you. Did, did Pharaoh see any miracles? I mean, can you imagine living in the land of Egypt and watching those ten plagues mediated out on the people? Did it change Pharaoh's heart? Yeah, it did, in the wrong direction. Right? It didn't change him to become a believer. So I say to you, to remind you of this, that don't sell miracles short, however, because God Almighty can use that miracle as a bridge to the gospel. And it's an awesome thing when God works in the lives even of unbelievers providentially. He can do this and then turn right around and use it as a bridge to the gospel. Because that's the greatest need, is it not? The greatest thing is not, remember Jesus said this, not that I say take up your bed and walk, but that I can say your sins be forgiven you. That's the awesome thing that Jesus Christ can accomplish. Luke tells us that many turn to the Lord. Jesus' power to heal opens the door to Jesus' power to save the soul. Now let's say in Joppa there were 50 believers. And now after Jesus heals this man through the apostle Peter Aeneas, that there were 500 that came to faith in Christ. You think they sang the hymns they knew with power after that day? Hello? You think there was a little bit of rejoicing going on in Joppa to see Aeneas walking again, but better yet, to see people turn to Jesus Christ? The church ought to be excited when somebody turns to faith in Jesus Christ. So we see he's got power over disease. By the way, this is a look at the kingdom, is it not? Jesus kept saying that the kingdom is not yet, the kingdom is not yet. And then all of a sudden, bang, the kingdom is. And we're not waiting for the kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. 
You're living in the kingdom now. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling these. Now there's a consummation. We understand that. There's a day coming when the kingdom will not look exactly like it looks now because it will be in full force. But the issue here is Jesus fulfilling what he said he would fulfill. Don't we pray this? Thy kingdom come. And we see him healing of disease. Don't you look forward to that day when we rule and reign with Christ? No disease whatsoever. I look forward to that. I'll be able to stand up here. Well, I don't know how. There'll be a lot of singing. I don't know about preaching because it'll be all fulfilled. But the fact is, I'll be able to see, right? Without any kind of hundred things, whatever we're trying to buy. 75 is what I had to get, 0.75 to be able to to see. But Natalie's at 1.25. So my vision's better than hers, right? (laughs) But I think I'm getting close to needing 2.0, whatever. Looking at this. Healed from all diseases, okay? So Jesus Christ has the power to heal disease. Secondly, we see Christ's power over death displayed. Don't you love this? A saint in the Greek named Dorcas, in Hebrew named Tabitha, fell ill and died. Now, does Joppa sound familiar? Do y'all read y'all's Bible? Hold your Bible up if you brought it to church. Oh, oh, doing good. Doing all right. Some of you, you know, would you go to a ball game without your glove? I mean, would you? We're thinking, oh, we can look on the screen, preacher. Bring your Bible to church, right? Do you know of Joppa? It's well known for a runaway prophet. And why? Because of, because of what we're preaching, discrimination. Jonah's like, no way! I'm going to take the gospel to Nineveh. Those Assyrians, they skin people alive. No way I'm going to do that. But Joppa, yeah, that's, that's where we are here uh, in present day Jaffa. Uh, so, again, it's interesting. We've got Dorcas in Greek. Any of, you get, any of your parents going to name your kid Dorcas anytime soon? <laughs> I mean, why did they take a beautiful name like Tabitha, which means gazelle, and in the Greek call it Dorcas? I have no idea. But here's this female. Here's something interesting. The only time, I'm pretty sure of this, the only time that disciple is in the feminine is used of this lady. I think that's pretty unique. But here's a female disciple overflowing in deeds of kindness. Do you see it? In charity, which she continually did. And you got this local assembly of believers gathered in Joppa. And this awesome woman dies. It's a community of Lydda. Well, from Lydda down to Joppa, same geographical area. And there are, again, uh, are many in local assemblies that I can think back over the years who had the abundance of love and good deeds in the body of Christ. I can think of these ladies at Duncan Baptist where I pastored and at Big Stevens Creek and at Cropple. And I'm seeing it here. Not as full-blown yet because I haven't been here long enough. But here's this lady who is kind of a backbone of uh, charity and kindness And loving others. She was a true fragrance to Jesus Christ. You ever met people like that? And here's this woman, Tabitha. That's what we're going to call her. Her Hebrew name. And she's a worker for the Lord. She's a servant. She learned from the Son of God how to serve others. The fruit of good works sprung up in her life through faith. And everyone who who knew her appreciated Tabitha for Christ-like service. Especially with the widows. What does James say? 
that pure and undefiled religion is that we care for widows and orphans and that we live our lives unspotted from the world. So here, here she is. What do you know about widows? Much in the same vein as a handicap. There's no government subsidies for them at this particular time either. They were dependent upon the charity of others and especially the local church. The passage says that she becomes sick and dies. Kind of straightforward, isn't it? You don't see that happening as much in our day, do you? Because if you diagnose something that would have been totally tragic back in those days, it's not so much today because we can just get some antibiotics and we can get some meds and take care of that. But isn't it interesting when physically you get some kind of bug today and you realize you're not as strong as you think you are? And you think, you know what, I could die tomorrow. That's the way you feel sometimes. But here's a situation where she didn't have any meds Whatever was wrong with her, and she died. So customarily, upon her death, they prepare her body for burial, which is customary, what they would do. But instead of burying her, they take her to the upper room. Does this sound reminiscent? They get her up in that upper room, and perhaps they had hopes of remembering back to what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had accomplished. And again, the circumstances are right, so they send out two, which was common practice, two men, to go find Peter because they know that Peter is in the area. Don't you love the appeal to him? Please, come. Please, come. Now, what would your response be if you were Peter? Do you think for a moment, there's no question that he knows he's not going to be asked to do a funeral. Probably in his mind, he's thinking there's something more to this. I'm sure he's thinking about the fact that And going through his mind, will God raise her from the dead? He knows he's going to pray over this woman. What a moving scene it is. They're showing Peter a cloak, perhaps, that was made for them by this lady. A shirt, perhaps, that was made. Maybe a coat that was made and given to one of them. They show demonstration and continuous action of demonstration of demonstration about the acts of this woman The acts of mercy provided by this woman. Now here's Peter. He sends them all out. This sound familiar? Just like Jesus with the pair, just like Jesus with Jairus' daughter. And he removes everybody. Jesus does, but Peter, James, and John. In this case, Peter asked everyone to go out. Wonder how long he prayed. I mean, you should ask questions of the text, right? Do you think it was just a quick, Father, uh, through your son, you can heal this woman. Now do it. Father, be glorified. It could have been an hour. We don't know how long the prayer was, but I guarantee you this, it was intense. I mean, he was on his knees, and he was praying. He was intense. Imagine how he pled before the throne of grace. God, please raise her up. Do you think resurrection was still on the top of Peter's mind? Having run to the tomb like a halfback because he was outrun by John, right? John must have been a tailback. Peter must have been a halfback. But, but still, Jesus, fresh from the trauma of the grave, do you think Peter believed in the God of resurrection? I think so. Intense prayer at this particular point. God, please raise her up. And in an act of faith, an amazing act of faith, think about this, folks. He turns to the body. Well, I've got news for you. In my understanding, it is absolutely meaningless to turn to a lifeless body and address it. 
But that's exactly what Peter does. We're talking about someone that had been dead at least for six hours. Possibly longer. And Peter demonstrated faith and how powerful God is in raising the dead. It was the very words of Jesus Christ issued forth out of Peter's mouth that restored the spirit to Tabitha's body. And the Bible says when he turned to address the lifeless body, again, Jesus Christ healed this woman's sovereign, life-giving power of God Almighty to speak a word to dead people and make them alive. That's amazing, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall to watch that one? A fly on the ear of a shepherd's sheep? Whatever. Just to see this particular life-transforming act. What does he say to her? He says, Tabitha, arise. Does this sound familiar to you? There's only a change in one letter between how Mark's account addresses when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. It is, Jesus says to her, Talitha. Only a change of Tabitha versus Talitha. And Jesus said, Talitha, which means little girl, arise. And here Peter says, Tabitha. And God raises her from the dead. The Bible says that when she opened her eyes, she saw Peter and she sat up. The opening of the eyes. Now, question. Where was she before she opened her eyes? Why is it dark over here? I can't, I can't make eye contact with y'all. Y'all could be scowling at me and whatever else. But here's the deal. What, where was she? Well, obviously, in my understanding of death and theology, she was in the presence of the Lord. Bummer, right? To have to come back to this earth. But I guess uh, she understood something about her mission. Whether she did or, or not, she did exactly what God would have her to do. I uh, wonder what Peter's response was. Hallelujah! Right? We don't have that in the text. Some of you are asleep over here with the lights out. <laughs> but you know full well that he had to be rejoicing in the Lord. And then the Bible says he just takes his hand and uh, as a, a man should do at this point, he helps her to get on her feet. And don't you love this? He calls down for the saints and presents her living. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Presents her living. I think, again, there had to be some rejoicing in order. Jesus himself said, there's coming an hour and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will come to life. Jesus said that, did he not? Understand what is true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. The dead hear the voice of the Son of God and they come alive. That's what happens in new birth. Terry, right? Terry was saved, trusted Christ yesterday out here on the job site. Dead, raised to life. I mean, folks, that's the power of Jesus Christ. Think about regeneration. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive. That's what happens in regeneration. He takes something that is dead and makes it alive by turning your mind. Remember, Satan hath blinded the eyes of those, lest the glorious gospel penetrate. And that's exactly what happens. Again, notice what the scripture says, verse 42, and many believed. The one who raised Tabitha unto physical life 
raised many that day unto spiritual life. Again, we see the gospel. Miracles not done willy-nilly, but the gospel being paramount and upfront and, and, and personal because Jesus turned many souls to himself. Serves as a bridge for a multitude of those in Joppa to come out of spiritual death. It's an echo, again, of the miracle of Christ uh, with raising Jairus' daughter and the paralytic able to walk again, and then again, Elijah and Elisha. Jesus is going forth in acts in power, and he's conquering. He's mighty to heal, and he's mighty to save, and he's using an instrument, and he's using Peter. Do you know, he's even the Lord over the lost. He's over all things, and he does whatever pleases him. Now notice verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon a tanner. Now listen. Uh, this is not a tanning salon, <laughs> ladies. It's not what this is about. Now Peter was at the beach. He was on the coast. But he wasn't at a tanning salon. As a matter of fact, he's in the home of a man who has a very smelly job. Now, rabbinic tradition stated that tanners were unclean. Why? Because they touch, they kill and touch dead animals. Now, nowhere in the Mosaic law does it say anything about a tanner, but the Jews, by extrapolation from the law, came up with the fact that if you were a tanner, you were you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you could not be a part of the covenant that God had with the Israelites in the Old Testament. So, it was said that it was impossible for the world to do without, to, to continue to, uh, to exist without tanners, but woe to the person who is a tanner. In Jewish tradition, a woman could sue for a divorce if she found out her husband was a tanner. And maybe he lied up front and said, no, I'm not a tanner. But he'd come home from work every day and say, you stink. I said, You're a tanner, aren't you? Right? Well, Jewish history says that you could sue for, a woman could sue for divorce. It will be in this particular home that Peter, who his entire life had been taught that anything outside of Jewish people were unclean. It was in this home. Now note this. When you have Aeneas and Tabitha, they were still Jews. But it was in a Gentile setting. God is moving people with the correct understanding of where the gospel is supposed to go. Okay? But when you get to chapter 10, and again, Peter is in this home with a tanner up on the balcony. Ever how that was built? When Jesus brings down this net from heaven full of every animal that Peter was forbidden to eat, and Jesus said, eat it! It's clean. I love that. Right? There had to be a deer in there and an antelope and a, and a pig and everything else. Right? And from that, again, the analogy is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is no respecter of persons. And check this out. Isn't it awesome how God whittles away at our attitudes? I mean, some of you came to this church this morning and you've probably walked in the shoes of Peter all week long because in your mind, 
you don't think that that person you saw is a candidate for the kingdom. Don't look at me so spiritual. I mean, you, you, you live in the realm where possibly it's prejudice against African Americans or whoever else that's not like you. Well, God needs to change your attitude, right? You need an attitude adjustment. All of us need this. It's, it's other areas of discrimination. No matter how you view that, with somebody you're in, you're in contact with or someone you look at and you just have the mentality that, hey, I was a recipient of God's grace because I deserved it. Really? What you deserve was hell. Just like me and everybody else. But God in His great mercy reached out to you and saved you. So here's the deal. God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime. And our heartbeat should be for the nations, no matter the color. Red and yellow, black and white. We are precious in His sight. No matter who that is, that should be our mentality. So he was in the process of overcoming Peter's cultural biases. The lodging in this tanner's home was a step of the gospel uh, on the road to bringing the gospel full-blown to the Gentiles. He not only, again, has power over disease and death, but he has power over discrimination. Now, in conclusion, here we see the reign of Jesus over a sin-cursed world. Power over disease, power over death, power over discrimination. Don't you long for the day when none of that exists? Yeah, but this is a foretaste. This is looking into the kingdom. And now Jesus is on another, he's on the verge of another strong man-binding rescue. Because when you get to Acts chapter 10, you're going to see a full-blown Gentile who God speaks to. Right? This is the way salvation always works. He speaks to Peter before he takes the gospel to Cornelius But the sovereign God of the universe is already working in the heart of Cornelius. He already knew that Peter was coming on the way. Look, folks, you're never the first touch in someone's life when they come to Jesus. No one ever comes to the Father unless the Spirit is drawing him. But isn't it awesome to be a messenger of the gospel? To see God sovereignly work? I mean, to put a friendship together a few weeks ago and then to see with cords of grace, God just, you can't get out of it. C.S. Lewis used to say, if you find yourself in the, in the net of conviction, just give up because God's drawing you and you won't ever get out. And that's true. Isn't it awesome to see that come together? And here God is having to convert Peter. Not to salvation, but to implications of the gospel. Don't you want to be a messenger for the king, folks? Don't you? Well, we've got to change our attitudes. We need, well, we need to let God change our attitudes, right? We need for Him to, to manipulate the mind and the heart and the spirit and get us to see through His eyes, and that's what's taking place. We're getting ready for Christmas time, right? Don't you love the song, Joy to the World? And when I read this, I think about that line. He comes to make His blessings known far as the curse is found. Well, folks, unless you had not figured this out, our world is cursed. But he's coming with his blessings. Don't you love this? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And in this text, we see Jesus Christ with lordship over all of life. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that First Baptist Church of Ozark will be a conduit of the life and the love and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ over a sin-cursed community. May Jesus Christ... Make himself famous in Ozark like he did in Joppa. 
Amen. Father, we want to thank you. Just bow our hearts before you, Father, and just contemplate how awesome it is for you to have the power to heal somebody that was bedridden for eight years. God, that just blows our minds. But Lord, we should never doubt your power. Lord, we know you have the power over disease. And then to witness the text of Scripture. When someone was dead, no life in that body. And for you to speak life back into her. God, you're the God of resurrection. Lord, it's a foretaste of our bodies one day that will be raised incorruptible. We know that. Father, help us to think about the kingdom. That you still have the power to heal and to save. And you're going to make all things right in the future. And Lord, for our own mission here in our lives, you've put us strategically where we are. Whether it's our vocation, whether it's a sports facility, whether it's hanging around lost people at the store. Wherever that is, God, you put us there strategically. May we have your attitude that we understand that the gospel is for the whole world. Whoever cries out to Jesus Christ, Lord, save me. God, help us with that. Lord, I know that the altar should be filled today. Because we all have cultural biases. We're all guilty before you in that regard. And Lord, sometimes we get halted in our progress. Even though we've seen amazing things take place. But if we've got the wrong attitude... Lord, it comes to a screeching halt in our spiritual progress. God, help us to rid ourselves of these attitudes today through your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.